In the middle of the deadliest epidemic in Brazil's history, recording over 100,000 deaths and 3 million COVID-19 cases, how could the country make the spread of the disease even worse? Imagine you have 60 groups of between 30 and 40 people each, hailing from all over Brazil. Then, you split them into three pools, and you have each individual group travel to visit every other group in their pool, with intervals of only three days between their meetings. And oh, and when they do meet, they remain in close physical contact with each other for at least 90 minutes without wearing a mask. That sounds like a recipe for disaster, right? But that's actually happening right now all over Brazil, as the national football season has kicked off right in the middle of a pandemic. I'm Ewan Marshall, editor at the Brazilian Report and filling in for editor-in-chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. So, the National Football Championship came back on Saturday and already it's causing absolute chaos. José Roberto Castro, you covered this story for the Brazilian Report. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Ewan. So, on Sunday afternoon, I switched on the TV at 4pm to watch Goiás play São Paulo in the Brazilian First Division, but the game didn't go ahead. What happened? Well... This match was the first COVID-19 casualty of the new season, and probably the first of many. A few hours before the match, word got out that Goiás, the home team, had 10 players who tested positive for the coronavirus. Eight of them were meant to be in the starting lineup. Meaning the game was called off? Not right away, no. Goiás put in a request to postpone the match but had to phone around and call in around a dozen of reserve and youth team players, just in case the club was forced to play. One backup goalkeeper was enjoying a Father's Day lunch in the countryside before he was dragged to the stadium. And what about the opposing team? São Paulo had already arrived at the stadium by the time this was going on, and they kept doing things as usual. When it was 15 minutes to 4, a quarter of an hour before the kickoff, Goiás managed to get a court order to have the game postponed. The São Paulo players were lined up on the pitch, ready to play. Yeah, and millions were watching at home as well on television, including myself. That must have been so embarrassing for the Brazilian Football Association. Well, but it was not even the only incident. The previous day, in Brazil's third division, Goiás local rivals Vila Nova had flown up north to Manaus for the first game of the season. And only after they landed, they find out that two of their players had tested positive for the coronavirus. And the game went ahead as normal, with the two infected squad members left out. But hold on, if the two COVID-19 cases travelled with the rest of the squad, they could have already passed the virus on to their teammates before the match, right? And then those players could have infected their opponents. Exactly. And keep in mind that Villanova travelled on a commercial flight. They could have infected the other passengers too. 
What jumps out to me as strange in this story is that the team only received their coronavirus test results once they had already travelled to their game. Has that been the standard? It has, due to delays in the processing tests. While the situation in the top division was a bit more secure, none, I said none of the third division clubs who played away matches last weekend received their COVID-19 test results before travelling. Wow. And there was the case of the match between Treze and Imperatriz, which was eventually called off after 12 Imperatriz players had tested positive. And this was after a huge journey that took 23 hours, including two planes and two buses. And those two cities aren't even that far apart either. That's like going from London to Barcelona, but via Dublin, Berlin and then Madrid. It's a really long trip. And after all that, they didn't even get to play. So what are the football authorities saying about this? Well, the Brazilian Football Confederation, the CBF, actually called last week a success, celebrating the matches that were able to go ahead. But after being put under pressure, they have announced a change to their protocol, demanding every squad member to be tested before the games, and that the results of these tests are made available before teams travel. It really boggles the mind to think that these basic measures weren't already in place before play restarted. Is there any suggestion that this will solve the problem? Well, the danger is last week's events may have started a chain of contamination that will be hard to stop. Just four days after the first game back, and we already have at least 40 players infected with the virus. Thanks, Jose Roberto. Thanks for having me. For more on the chaos of the first weekend of the Brazilian Championship, check out Jose Roberto's article on the Brazilian Report, which we will link to in the show notes. After the break, how the return to football had panned out elsewhere in South America. <laughs> Are you looking to connect with institutional investors in Brazil? Then you should seek out the good people at AMEC, the Brazilian Association of Investors in Capital Markets. AMEC brings together around 60 asset managers and pension funds from Brazil and abroad, which have a combined portfolio of over $130 billion. AMEC works to support minority shareholders' rights by fostering governance and stewardship principles that strengthen the market as a whole. Plus, they have lots of content that will help you stay up to date with what is happening on Brazilian markets. And we know you like high-quality content from insiders because you're listening to Explaining Brazil. See more at Brazil. And that's Brazil with an S, dot org, dot PR. That's a Mac Brazil, again, with an S, dot org, dot PR. So, we've established that Brazil's attempt to return to football has been an unmitigated shambles. But how has the rest of South America coped? To answer that, we rang up South American football expert Tim Vickery, whose work can be found on ESPN.com and BBC5 Live. Here's what Tim had to say. So, just first of all, 
we've we've seen the league return in Brazil this weekend. Uh, but I'm wondering if you could give us just a bit of an update on the domestic leagues elsewhere in South America. You know how they're getting on. Paraguay came back uh, uh, in the middle of July, and Paraguay has had uh, actually the numbers are starting to go up worryingly in Paraguay, but it's still uh, under 80, I think, uh, coronavirus deaths. So Paraguay has been back for for four rounds. And then at the weekend, there were three leagues that either started or attempted to restart, which were Brazil, Peru and Uruguay. Now, Uruguay uh, is a success story, um, even bearing in mind it's a small population, less than 40 coronavirus deaths. Brazil and Peru are at the, at the other extreme. They're the uh, two countries who have, uh, who have done, together with Chile, who've probably proportionally done worst in terms of coronavirus deaths. Ecuador plans to get underway um, this weekend. Uh, Chile and Colombia have both been taken up with the internal political disputes about changes of the guard at their football associations. Um, but they, uh, uh, they are plan to be back soon. Argentina, um, although the numbers are, are worsening in Argentina, Argentina, the club started training on Monday. Uh, and uh, one thing which is concentrating minds is the, uh, the plan to restart the Copa Libertadores South America's Champions League on the 15th of September. So exactly, just before we move on to the Libertadores, uh, you mentioned Peru there, and Peru had this interesting idea of kind of bringing all the teams in the country to the capital and kind of creating this like bubble league, uh, not too dissimilar to what we're seeing with, you know, like the Champions League, the Europa League in Europe. But that didn't quite work out. They didn't manage to start their league at the weekend. Could you explain what happened? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the bubble... Um, it's, yeah, it's not strictly a bubble, is it? But the, the way that uh, that Europe is doing it with its its continental competitions is is doing this on a neutral ground. Um, obviously, you can't do that in a in a domestic league. It's got to be somewhere inside the country. Uh, and uh, Lima, the capital city, and it's the 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 home the base of all the, the big traditional clubs in Peruvian football. And one of those is Universitario, and Universitario. Uh, played on Friday night, the, the curtain raiser for for the restart, uh, and uh, there was a huge gathering of fans outside the stadium. Obviously, all of these games are happening behind closed doors, but a huge gathering of thousands of fans outside the uh, Estadio Nacional, the National Stadium in Lima, uh, and they had a party with setting off their flares and creating disturbances. Uh, and but the real problem is that they're they're just together, even if uh, even it's if it's entirely peaceful. Uh, the real problem is that they're they're, they're, they're together. Um, and really, if, if we're going to talk about the, the restart of football in South America, the administrators, I think, are in a very different, difficult position for for I think three big reasons. One is that South American football exists financially on the edge at the best of times. So you know, you take away huge streams of revenue for five or six months. And the clubs are absolutely desperate to come back. Um, another problem they had, if we're going to compare this with Europe, is that uh, generally speaking, South American football runs on a calendar year, not the kind of you know August to May European season. Uh, and that meant that when the coronavirus struck and forced the shutdown, we're still at the start of seasons. It's not like the thing that Europe's had to decide of how to end a campaign. It's it's you know how to conduct a campaign. Uh, so that, that's a different and more complex question. Uh, and uh, the other problem is that they're operating in a context where, you know, they've, they've, cl- they've shut down for so long 
um, but the coronavirus hasn't been brought under control. And that means the margin for error of everything that they do is much, much more serious than it has been with the restart in Europe. And as you just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we've got this situation where all the national associations are trying to get their leagues restarted, but then in a few weeks we have the Copa Libertadores coming back, which brings all sorts of new questions, people crossing borders, all that sort of thing. The The tournament's already in progress. We had, I think it was two rounds of the group stage before the stoppage of the pandemic. So what what's the plan for finishing it? Are they going to adapt it at all, or is it just going to go ahead as normal? Well, the plan, and, and this is, is broadly speaking across the range in South American football, uh, they don't want to open, they don't want to give up anything. They want to keep the whole thing. Um, they want to keep all of the fixtures uh, and all of the product that they sell, they can sell to TV companies. So uh, the, uh, the the plan with the Libertadores is to is to start it on September the 15th, uh, and carry it through until uh, until next year. Um, we, there's no fixed date for the final yet. The semi-finals will be in January, uh, with the final uh, perhaps late January. Um, so that's the way they're doing it. In order to to to, uh, to have all of the games, they're extending the uh, the time frame. Uh, um, the Brazilian domestic championship, which is almost like a Libertadores uh, without crossing national boundaries, you know, because it's it's the, given the size of the country. Brazil is so, so huge with the coronavirus in different states of development in, in different parts of Brazil um, that they decided not to give up anything with the Brazilian championship. So it was supposed to kick off at the start of May, instead of which it kicks off, it kicks off at the weekend. And to fit, and really is, it's it's an attempt to, to cram everything in, and it doesn't end until the end of the end of February, uh, and 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 this, like the Libertadores, like most of the plans to bring football back, is based on the most optimistic of prognosis. If anything goes wrong, and things are already going wrong, um, you wonder uh, whether you know the uh, South America's calendar for 2020 will finish sometime around 2023. Exactly, yeah. And when we're talking about the, the kind of international uh, disputes going on here, I mean, I was speaking to some people from, from clubs in Paraguay this week, and they were kind of they were talking about just how hard, how hard work, how hard effort they've put in and how much expense they've had to put in to kind of get this championship back on and working. And now, you know, a couple of them, you know, you've got Guarani who are in the same group as Palmeiras here in Sao Paulo. You've got Olympia who are going to be in the same group as Santos they're either going to have to be forced to play in Brazil or they're going to have to welcome a Brazilian club into Paraguay. You know, is there any way around that for them? Um, no. Uh, and uh, you can imagine that, that the health authorities being absolutely apoplectic um, with all the hard work that has been done and then opening up, up yourself to this kind of risk when the, the infectologist of, uh, of the Argentine government uh, last week, he advised River Plate not to travel to Sao Paulo. That's the fixture which is coming up in the the, the first week um, in, in mid-September. The following week, River Plate are due to go to, to face B Nacional, the champions of Peru. And that game, as, as, as scheduled, is, is scheduled not for Lima, where B Nacional will be playing their matches if the Peruvian championship um, returns, because it was suspended after after the incidents on, on, on Friday. Um, so uh, they'll, they'll have to go up up, uh, up the mountain to, to Juliaca 
um, which uh, I don't think uh, will have received the same sanitary provisions as have been going on in Lima. So it is very, very controversial. And you saw the reaction from the, the, the government of Chile, where, you know, Comnibal came up with a, with a, with a protocol for crossing borders. So in Com Comnibal, desperate to, to get this back on, meeting uh, a charter, the, the costs of, of charter flights for the teams to travel around the continent, and then coming up with a, with a protocol where the players don't have to go through immigration in the normal sense, they're, they're met on the runway and taken to their hotel. The, the, the rooms have already been distributed, so there's no gathering of people in the hotel lobby waiting for, for their room key. Um, looking at details in, uh, in, uh, of that type, but the, the Chilean government came back and said, well, you know, I'm sorry, but who decides who and how you come into Chile will be Chile and not Comnibal. So uh, I think that there's going to be lots of, uh, of backstage rambling going on there, wrangling between health authorities and football, although the football clubs clearly have immense political power. Tim, that was excellent. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you. This episode was scripted and produced by me, Ewan Marshall. Sound editing comes courtesy of Gustavo Ribeiro. And if you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars. That will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for an entire week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Ewan Marshall, and we'll see you back here next week.